Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW Network. It's Save This City. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdock. Hey there, and welcome to Save This City Podcast. I guess we'll call this episode 25. It's more or less just me trying to catch up with all of the shows that we've been covering. We've had a, a little bit of a break here. The last episode you got was a talk with Donald and Camille about uh, where we were with Flash and Arrow and Legends at the time. But this week, I'm just going to briefly re-go over my own thoughts regarding season 4, episode 18 of Arrow. And then we will cover two episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, episode 10 and episode 11 of season one. And we will also cover season one, episode 19 of Myriad. And I'm going to try to be quick. I'm on tour right now. Things are very busy. Uh, I'll try to keep up with the shows as best I can. At best, you're going to get one podcast a week. So you probably won't get another podcast until next week covering any of uh, the shows this week. But thanks for sticking with me. I'm sorry for the erratic release of of episodes. It's just something I can't really uh, control right now. By the way, my name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com, and that's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes. You can also find social media and contact links and podcatcher links. And if you'd take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher app you use, I'd really appreciate it. I'd also really appreciate hearing from you. You know, if you like any of my opinions or you dislike any of my opinions or uh, you want to hear more from Donald or Camille, if you have specific questions for them, send them in. And uh, you can find, again, uh, the Big Arrow discussion uh, with Donald and Camille and myself in the last podcast. Um, but I do want to say a couple of things about Arrow. So let's look at Arrow Season 4, Episode 18, 1159, written by Mark Guggenheim and Kato Shimizu, and directed by Rob Hardy. Um, I'm going to put this in the show notes. Um, a article from The Hollywood Reporter um, about uh, the whole Katie Cassidy thing and, and Laurel dying and how we might... Uh, see her a little more in the future. I don't actually think there's too much to talk about in terms of the episode itself, since Donald and Camille and I discussed it in the previous podcast, but there is some aftermath things to think about, and that's been brought to light by like that article uh, from The Hollywood Reporter uh, that I will have a link to in the show notes. That's pretty much going to be the, the main part of this discussion. But the first thing I do want to ask is what you think Laurel's last request of Oliver was that we didn't really get to hear on screen, kind of peeking from the outside window 
and saw them talking about something, but we don't know what it was. We discussed the whole Laurel thing being fine before the cut. You know, Laurel seemed fine before we cut away. And then when we cut back, the crash cart's coming in and, and she's dying. But her last request for Oliver to promise her something, I don't know what that might could even be. Could it be something in regards to Sarah, her father? I mean, what do you think? And I'm sure we'll find out either in the very next episode or maybe not till the end of the season or even beyond. But my gut is that it's either something about Oliver and Felicity or something about Damien Dark. But if you think that it could be something other than that, please feel free to, to let me know. And you can send an email to SaveTheCityPodcast at gmail.com or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. Or you can tweet at SaveTheCityPod. Uh, and the main reason that I ask that question is because the article says we still may see Laurel in a couple of uh, flashbacks this season of Arrow probably in the next episode, most likely, just to wrap it all up. But but still, even though the showrunners have confirmed that Laurel's death is real and permanent, there's still a chance we're going to see Katie Cassidy in other capacities. Um, there's talk um, in that Hollywood Reporter article about Sarah finding out about Laurel's death. Um, there's also talk of seeing uh, an Earth 2 version of Laurel in the flash. So even though that Laurel is dead uh, and there's not going to be any kind of miracle resurrection, there's no fake out. Her presence on the show isn't completely gone. Thank goodness. And it, it seems kind of weird for me to say that because I've been one to complain about Laurel a lot on arrow, but I guess I just turned out to be one of those guys that doesn't realize what they have until they're, you know, it's gone. Um, because the way this particular episode, this Arrow episode, utilized Laurel so well that it really made me a little frustrated because I asked the question, why weren't they utilizing her like that all along? Um, anyway, now I'm definitely going to miss her, as I said in the prior podcast. And her potential was getting even stronger uh, right at the time that they cut her legs out from underneath her. Um, you know, the courtroom stuff was great. And uh, this side of Laurel was great. Um, so however they can work Katie Cassidy into the show or, or Laurel into the show or any of the shows, you know, with the time travel stuff with Legends, she could be in there quite a bit with uh, the Earth 2 for Flash. You could see her as well. So I hope that they utilize that opportunity as long as they can while they still have her kind of under contract. Because um, I doubt that she'll be signed for anything next year, which is a shame. Um, there's also the question uh, of Andy, Diggle, and John. I mean, we talked a little bit about it in the previous episode, but there, there's definitely going to be some guilt there for John, even if it seems that L Oliver and Laurel both forgave him. And I only say that it seems like they forgave him because when Oliver reached out to him, uh, it was before Laurel had her complication and died. And because John never really asked for Laurel's forgiveness, I, you know, I, I don't know if Laurel actually forgave him or not. I'm sure she did. Still, I really don't think that that's the bigger issue here. I think the bigger issue is, is how will John find a way to 
get over his guilt about this and is the only way that he can do that is to kill Andy. Will he go too far? Will he step over the line? And will Oliver let John go down that same dark path that Oliver himself has claimed that he can't even come back from? There are also, as lame as it seems for me to do here, two two little nitpicks that I have to bring up about the episode. And first was in the flashback. Oliver having that picture of Laurel, I mean, that's fine. But him saying that she is his home, that just seemed a little lame to me, especially since it was Sarah who was on the boat with him when the boat got wrecked. Not that he would have a picture of Sarah, of course. It just seems weird that Laurel would be the one he would associate with home since he was cheating on her with Sarah when they were coming to the island. And again, this is nothing major, or it could even be that that's the exact same picture and Oliver just handed it to her when he got home at some point that we just didn't see. Or maybe that even happened on screen, but I don't remember it. You'd have to remind me if it did happen on screen. Uh, and again, this is very minor, but why she would keep a picture, an old picture of herself like that, um, you could uh, say that that seemed a little uh, narcissistic. Um, but I, I, again, I don't really, I, I don't blame um, the show for doing that. I just, I just thought it, I know that they were trying to tie the, the island and the present timeline together. It just, um, it didn't really work for me all that well. Uh, and that's enough nitpicking. I, I've rambled enough. Um, the weight of the episode, and, and because, um, again, that just amazing last scene with, with Paul Blackthorne and, and Stephen Amell, um, that just would give an extra point to any ep. Um, I, uh, this ep I'm, was going to give a 9.3 on my grading scale. Uh, Katie did a great job. Uh, thanks to her for four great seasons of Arrow. Gonna miss her. One nice thing is we don't have to worry about who's in the grave anymore, do we? Uh, unfortunately, also not just nice, but we don't. At least we don't have to spend time discussing it. So let's move on to Legends of Tomorrow. This is season one, episode ten, Progeny, written by Phil Klemmer and Mark Guggenheim, and directed by David Geddes, and. I guess the main plot was okay, though the the whole killing Hitler as a kid time travel question, um, that's something that travels time travel stories do a little bit too much of, in my opinion. Still, now they've kind of gotten that trope out of the way, so it's not like we'll have to revisit that anytime soon, hopefully. I think the best part of the result was seeing that they actually cemented the kid's evilness and even accelerated the timeline of bad things to come for the world. It, it was interesting that they decided not to go after Savage himself. Um, I'm not sure what the point of trying to kill him is anymore, because without the dagger, uh, at least until we get to the next episode, at this point, without the dagger, there's really nothing they could do. And I don't know, it still seems kind of formulaic of an approach to to the plot you know without having to find savage and then try and kill him and then fail it's kind of a rinse repeat kind of thing uh and that's something that i've complained about all season um it's good that they they went away from that formula a little bit in this episode but at the same time 
if they're going to try and do that kind of thing, then it seems like the original mission is has been abandoned a little bit. Maybe that could be an interesting story point for future episodes, though. But they they can get dangerously formulaic as well. You know, if we can't kill him, maybe we can just stop his progress. But the only problem is that now they've pretty much gone as close to the events of Rip's kid and, and wife dying as they can. So how do you stop his progress from where they've already interfered to those events? I don't think you can. Um, so they really do have to eliminate Vandal Savage in order to keep his family from dying. So it's kind of a conundrum in, in what to do with how to defeat Savage at this point. And I just don't really have an answer for that. Um, I'm going to say this. I really dislike the kid, and I'm talking about his acting. Uh, I'm not going to pick on that too much, but I just wanted to say that. You can't expect every child actor to have Academy Award-winning caliber. Um, nor was the kid that played young Aldous Boardman very good in the Kendra flashbacks either, but more on that in a minute. I just Googled this uh Per Dagaton and uh, saw that he was a comic book villain, so they I guess they just used that name. I didn't look it up any further um, to know whether this kid had a similar history um, as this television show character or th- that the ter- television show character and the comics were supposed to be the same person or if it was just a name that they used. The best part of the stuff with Per was the way that he was affecting Rip, really. Um, but that seemed a little ambiguous. He he was lying initially, I guess, when he told the kid that he was taking him home and he really just wanted to kill him. Because if he was going to try and exchange the kid, then why take him so far away and then try and kill him? You know, so I guess his intention was to just kill the kid from the get-go. But then you have that whole back and forth and the argument with then himself that, that Stein and all the rest of the team had been kind of spouting out the whole episode and I thought as weird as that scene at the lake kind of was, um, Darvel did a really good job uh, with the emotional impact of it all. As And as for the debate itself, um, any surprises about Snart being all for let's kill Hitler? <laughs> um, you know, that that's typical smart Snart thing. Uh, speaking of which, let, let's take care of that subplot right now. I mean, are we okay with this fist fight being the way that Snart and Rory take care of things? I mean, it probably didn't take care of everything completely, but it was uh, a little quick of a, of a through line to have the course of a three episode, like a guy like Mick who wants to be bad, gets betrayed, spends years of programming from the time masters, comes back to kill Snart and then can't kill him because he knows if he escapes, the Time Masters will come after him anyway. I mean, it's a lot to digest going from the end of Episode 7 to the end of Episode 10. Uh, and I think it was done a little too quickly. Um, especially with Rory being presumed dead, or, or at very least in the wind, for all of Episode 8. I mean, they really jumped up Mick going through a, a lot of hoops and even up to this next episode, which I'll, I'll talk about when we get to the, the Western episode here in a minute. I did like all of the brig scenes from everyone, though. You know, Rip, Sarah, Snart, uh, for the most part. And 
Mick actually had one of the best lines of the night in regards to whether they should kill that kid or not. That killing the kid didn't seem very hero-like. I love that. And as for Kendra and Ray, uh, well, I guess I jumped the gun on the whole CW mandate thing being taken care of uh, because there's still that looming shadow of of Kendra and Carter um, that they can have resurface at any time now, I guess. They they did a good job wrapping it up for this round with the whole I never met you before a line from Kendra. Uh, but in the meantime, it, it was super fantastic to see the Kendra-Carter flashbacks. Even if I didn't like the kid playing Albus all that much, it was good to tie that person uh, who had the information that we met in the pilot episodes back into the story. And I guess... Kendra is definitely getting her memories back after the two-year, you know, late 50s abandonment where she said she thought she was losing some of her memories because she, she's getting them a lot back. And, and since they're going to use the same actor for Carter, seemingly in each timeline, I was almost half expecting the actor to show up in the future storyline too. Um, maybe that would have been too much for the CW mandate. But I, I feel like they are going to have Kendra eventually meet up with a uh, Carter version 2.0 or or whatever sometime in the future. Because even in the the latest episode, she was kind of looking for Carter. So that was kind of interesting. And I don't really care. You know, I I mean, I'm not a big fan of maybe the love triangle thing that that might create with her and Ray and, and Carter. But what I do care about is I almost feel like you need Carter and Kendra both in order to defeat Savage. So at some point, they're going to have to find another version of Carter in order to uh, be able to take care of Savage. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when I review the next episode. Now, Ray's problem uh, is kind of an interesting one. I mean, I love the whole Hannibal Lecter line. That was funny. I don't remember the girl that he was with. Was that in a Flash, Arrow or Flash episode? Uh, And if so, please point me into the right direction as far as that goes. Otherwise, it didn't really matter um, since that character that Jewel State uh, played turned out to be the great, great, great or however many greats grandniece of Ray and not his great, 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 however many greats uh, daughter. Um... That was all fine and well, I guess. And I I felt bad for Ray dealing with the fact that his tech was being used so savagely in the future. But I have to ask this. Since they made it seem like Ray and his brother are very similar in appearance, and since they speculate that the brother comes to work for Felicity sometime after these guys leave 2016, I mean, are we going to see that brother on Arrow? And if they do look a lot alike, could they possibly have uh, Brandon play his own brother on Arrow? Or would they just cast a different actor that looks close in appearance to Brandon if they did that? What do you think? Um, it, it could be a way to have Brandon back on Arrow from time to time. Is to just have him be as like his, almost like his twin brother. Although, I don't know. That might be a little confusing. Um, but it would be kind of cool to see too. And again, now we've got this twofold time master slash vandal savage threat. 
I had hoped the reveal of Rory as Kronos might temper that a little bit, but I, I will admit that just because Rory failed doesn't mean that the Time Masters wouldn't keep trying, and now it seems like they've amped it up quite a bit, and as you'll hear in my review of the next Legends app, I was ended up a little disappointed in these hunters that, that Rory sent, made sound so fierce. In, at the end of this particular episode, but then they they went ahead and ticked it up yet another notch with that pilgrim thing. Um, so uh, episode twelve might be kind of promising uh, from a team versus the time masters standpoint. We'll have to see. I guess that's all I've got for this up. I mean, Stein and Jacks and the other storyline was much more about commentary about whether you kill the kid or anything else. But the actual wrestling with that issue was pretty much shouldered on, on Rip. And again, I, I thought Arthur Darville did a great job with it, even if that isn't really my favorite time travel story trope. Uh, and the up looked good for the most part. It did okay with what it was. And, and the Carter showing up was a nice surprise. I had just figured that that actor moved on. But again... Um, now there seems to be a potential to, to see him again and again if they choose to go that way um, with flashbacks or finding a, a Carter version 207 or whatever version that he, he would be uh, sometime in the future or seeing one in the past like we saw an old Kendra in the past of, of the episode 11. Um, so there, there's all kinds of possibilities there. I like that. And um, I guess overall I'll grade this one an 8.2 on the tin scale for this particular app. And rather than go right on to the next legends, I'm going to go ahead and interject the Supergirl stuff here. We did get a new episode of Supergirl season one, episode 19 entitled myriad. It was written by Yalen Chang and Caitlin Parrish, and it was directed by Adam Kane. And I guess I'm going to start off really with the most unlikely of superhero duos. I'm going to start with Cat Grant and Maxwell Lord. I'm not sure if the show is trying to put them together or not, but when they actually were working together, it was pretty awesome. And, and Kat is obviously one of my favorite characters. And I thought it was great that Max had the foresight to actually send her those earrings. And, and Kat was, was just super with her whole hope versus fear speech to Kara and, and for being able to convince Max that bombing the city was not the best tactic. <laughs> um, but I, I like the, the extra depth that we got into Max's story about his parents and why he was motivated to become a person who acts um, because he had tried to warn his parents about the suits and they, they wouldn't listen. So now he knew he just has to act because nobody will listen to him. Still, the the whole bomb idea definitely had some flaws. And just as a story point in general, I mean, where did Max all of a sudden have all this kryptonite dust? I mean, if he had that in his stores the whole time, why wasn't he trying to use it against the Kryptonians earlier? And even if he did use this bomb, it wouldn't necessarily stop myriad from working. It doesn't have anything to do with the force fields that he was talking about at the satellites. Um, just because the Kryptonians are dead doesn't mean you could figure out how to shut Myriad down if it's running. So it, it just seemed like his plan was a little flawed all around. Um, but um, since they're not using the bomb, I guess we can dismiss all of that. And I, I did like the place of doubt that all of this situation did put Kara in. 
and and again, I love that Cat kind of brought her back to a place that is much more superhero like um, than the place where Max was putting her. But on the other hand, as far as Kara's uh, cousin Superman. Why even bring him in at all? I mean, the off-world explanation would have worked just fine so that they didn't have to mess with that instead of having to have some kind of far-off CG shot and then make him just useless. I mean, I can understand that he would want to help and that he would come to help. But if he was off-world, then they had their perfect explanation. They didn't need to bring him back. And they certainly then wouldn't need that silly nature versus nurture explanation. I didn't buy that at all. I'm sorry. I mean, I guess it works, but it just seems so convenient and and a little ridiculous. And as far as the Kryptonians themselves, I mean, Non actually think about Non has shown a lot of restraint, and and him and Astra, I, I think the deeper we go into it, they they don't seem nearly quite as evil as they did. I mean, okay, mind control is definitely not a good thing, but. I think they were using it on Krypton and him using it here on Earth. They were using it with good intentions. Of course, you know that old saying about good of intentions definitely rings true here. Um, I think that Nan was probably content to just fix Earth's problems. But then what would he have done afterward? That's the real question. And where I think Astor might actually let the people return to themselves, I'm not really sure if he would. And he is clearly being more corrupted uh, than ever before by Indigo. And Laura Vantavort, she's just so comic book villain over the top to me that it actually comes back around uh, from being lame to actually being enjoyable. I, I, you know, she does it. She does the over the top so extensively, so in your face um, that it actually becomes enjoyable again for me rather than me groaning. Um, but I don't really understand what her hold is over Nan. I mean, he seems like he's listening to everything she says. And I know that she supposedly comes from this kind of artificial intelligence or, or something that was created, but it, it almost seems like they have a thing, and I don't understand how that works either. <laughs> I mean, someone with comic book knowledge would have to help me out and help me understand how um, an intelligence can have a thing with a, a being. I, I don't get that at all. Um, and then you have that whole showdown between Indigo and John Jones, which is, you know, clearly a fake out. There's no way Martian Manhunters got taken down completely, at least not yet, right? Gotta save that for a finale. He's gotta be okay. And then you have that whole bit with him and Alex being on the run, and then they go to her mom's. I, I guess that was kind of interesting. It was a sidebar. It kept us from having the whole show up with daddy at the last minute to save the day. And one thing that it did create was the fact that Alex's kind of own noble intentions is really the cause of how John Jones ends up getting defeated here by Indigo in the first place. He's having to use so much mental energy to protect Alex from Myriad um, that it seems like his other perceptions get weakened to the point that he can't defend himself. And, of course, that puts Alex in a place where she ends up at the end of the episode. And I think that that could possibly be one cool, badass fight, given all the kryptonite that Alex seems to be armed with. Um, I think she'll be quite formidable to Kara and Kara's kind of unwillingness to fight, whereas Alex doesn't really have a choice. 
and the the kind of the nice thing about the timing of of where Alex is with Hank uh, at her mom's, uh, and then finding out about what's going on in National City, that means that they can leave the whole Cadmus um, slash Daddy thing for a later season. They don't have to address that this season, assuming the show gets renewed, which I think it will. Um, and if not, then it's not going to be something that I think anybody's going to care about. Um, because they'll, you know, if the show's not coming back, then there's bigger fish to fry than just, well, what about Cadmus and daddy? Right. I did find one aspect of the visit to the Danvers house to be cute. And that was with the mom asking all of the questions, and also, one thing that I really liked is it seems like Alex and, and her mom have really patched things up because that Thanksgiving episode, that was a pretty tough episode to swallow. Um, it was not very warm and fuzzy like you expect a Thanksgiving episode to be. Um, they they were in a really bad place. So it's good to see that, you know, they both kind of acknowledge that they had their problems and they seem to be over them now. And... I guess last, the the DEO just seems like it's in complete disarray. And I feel bad for Lucy um, having to face this kind of threat so early on in in her position at the DEO. Um, That Superman's crazy stalker girlfriend thing, what was her name? I don't even remember, Maxima or something? I mean, that was just awful. I'm not even sure why they had to throw that in there. But I did find it interesting that Nan did not want to release the White Martian. I could definitely see that having that one being out of prison would probably be more of a problem for Nan than a help because I think that White Martian basically wants to destroy the planet whereas Nan's trying to save it and rule it. But at the other hand, if the White Martian were to get out, would it just go straight for John Jones again? Or would could you have a possible John Jones-White Martian alliance somewhere in the future? I mean, I, I just don't understand why they even bothered to mention the White Martian if they're not going to have it play out as something more important in the future. Maybe not in the immediate future, but maybe they were planning uh, for a season two thing. And I guess that's all I have for Supergirl. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good penultimate uh, episode to set up the big final battle Um I'm sure that that's going to have its moments of tragedy because that's kind of the Berlanti way, right? To tear our hearts out with some death or uh, to put some kind of twist on it. But um, all in all, the the Indigo thing was pretty cheesy good. Um, the, the Superman thing just didn't make any sense. Um, I did like seeing the Fortress of Solitude and, and Alora again. I, I love the whole Alex versus Kara thing that's coming up. I liked Cat and Max. The evil plan of and the plot itself doesn't really hold a whole lot of interest for me, though. So I hope that the battle uh, makes up for that. But at any rate, I'm going to rate this episode an 8.1. Uh, I think mainly because it's in anticipation of hopefully getting some kind of satisfying finale. And this is setting it all up. We will see... And with that, I'm going to go to the last episode I'm going to talk about, which is the Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 11, Magnificent 8. And that's a story by Greg Berlanti and Mark Guggenheim with a teleplay by Mark Guggenheim. And it was directed by good old Thor Frudenthal. It's a great director. I have loved the stuff that he's done for the Arrowverse um, so far this year. Um, and this was definitely a, a fun trip into the Old West. And, and the highlights for me 
weren't so much the gun battles and the bar brawls and all that stuff. I mean, that was great. That was a, had all the right tropes in it. Um, but the the fun part was the fact that we uh, Kendra and, and Stein's stories uh, really had some kind of deeper impact for me. And, and Rip's story uh, and his whole thing about, you know, not wanting to return to the West, really, that was interesting as well. I will say, as as I teased earlier, I was very disappointed in the Hunters um, that Rory had built them up, you know, so big. I was very disappointed in them. Um, I thought that they were going to be extremely badass and really hard and was even going to hurt one of our guys. Um, but they just didn't seem to be very much of a peril at all. I suppose it was more or less just to set up this whole Omega protocol thing. And all I can hope is that the Pilgrim is a greater threat than these hunters seem to be. Um, it seems like the Pilgrim's whole method is going to be actually what Rip couldn't do in the earlier episode that I reviewed, um, killing their heroes as they're younger. Um, and that last shot of uh, the Pilgrim pointing the gun at, I guess that was a young Rory, you know, because he likes to watch things burn. So um, we'll have to see how they fight that. They're going to have to find the point. <laughs> Before they're all eliminated from time, they have to find the point where the Pilgrim tries to take them out when they're younger. And as a team stopper there, and then as a team stopper at the next one, and it's going to get, uh, that could be really drawn out. I'm sure they won't draw it out, but you could really draw that out. And another nice thing about this particular episode was uh, No Vandal Savage. And now that it seems like, to me, it seems like probably up until maybe the last couple episodes of the season, we're not going to get a whole lot of Vandal Savage because they got to deal with this whole Time Master stuff. I think they have to kind of wrestle the Time Master stuff until they, so that they can get back to the Vandal Savage thing. So hopefully we won't see too much Vandal Savage um, until they take care of this because I'm getting tired of the two-front thing if they're going to make it as easy as they make it for them to get out of it. Speaking of uh, Vandal Savage, we did get some information about Vandal Savage that can be used in the future. I love that we finally had the Kendra meeting herself thing happen. You knew that was going to have to happen eventually, and, and this time it was just fabulous to me. And it's mostly because I really like the actress who played the older Kendra. That's Anna Deaver-Smith. Um, she One of my favorite shows of all time is West Wing, and she played Nancy McNally, the national security advisor on that show. Uh, and she pretty much played just a tough broad in that show like she does here. So it, it wasn't that different uh, of a stretch of a role. But I, I just love Deaver Smith as, as that kind of in that role. And I, I loved her in this particular episode. Now, the one thing that I will say is that older Kendra may ultimately be right about the whole love thing. Um, but I, I feel like that life is in the trying and so I was glad to see that Kendra is at least uh, listening to Sarah in terms of not letting older Kendra's words get to her so much. Although, I don't know, she still seemed a little hesitant as they were going back to the bridge. So who knows what the heck is going on there. But uh, most important, of course, was the information that, that Kendra got in regards uh, to any item that they died with. Um, can be used against Savage in some way. Now, the question is, has Savage already collected all this stuff over all these years? Um, 
great. You know, I did, I did find it funny, uh, with older Kendra's telling younger Kendra, what, you're going to kill him with a bracelet. I thought that was funny. On the other hand, they might not even have the opportunity because the savage has taken the time to find the dagger. He's probably taken the time to find everything, right? Um, if it's findable. She did say something about, um, older Kinder did say something about the bracelet last being, um, the, maybe the Pinkertons had them or something, uh, or a gang had, a gang had stolen them and the Pinkertons had captured the gang. So, um, maybe there'll be another Wild West episode somewhere down the line if they need that bracelet so badly. Um, another interesting facet of this particular episode was, was the Stein thing. I loved his whole debate with Rip about using the medicine for the boy. And here, here's an, a fun thing where, um, again, the appearance of the team in this place of time has an impact that is true to our world rather than an impact that uh, hurts time. It, it's like they were destined to be there um, because without it, we'd have no H.G. Wells to read. And I love the implication that because the team was from the future, maybe they just inspired H.G. Wells' writing, even if it was in the most minute of ways. And, and there were all kinds of cool little things about Stein in this episode. He's a con man. That was great. Uh, card player. Um, I loved how Snart was even amazed by that. And just like the team kind of had an influence on the Times, it seems like the Times definitely had an influence on the team as well. And Rip, especially, um, you get the idea from the last time that he was here, um, that his son might be named after this Jonah Hex. Uh, that was really cool. And I, I don't really know that much about the Jonah Hex in the comics. Um, so you'd have to just, um, defer to someone else on that. But I, I liked the character just fine. Um, Thought he was kind of nice, kind of an anti-hero kind of character. That, that it was really good and and um, very westerny uh, kind of way, you know, except with his weird face thing, and and the whole idea about this whole Calvert thing and him having to rip having to leave because he knew what was going to happen there. And one of the things I love is how they pointed out about how the West seems to have influenced. Uh, rip a lot and they explored that right down to you know his clothing and his, his guns and everything like that and I the gun thing I had pegged it did look had, that gun has always looked like a six shooter to me and I think oh he must have got that from the west old west and just uh, you know uh, upgraded it in some way shape or form but it was the duster thing that got me this time because of that one great shot where he kind of slung the duster away so that he could get at his gun um, then I realized just how Western his whole outfit is. That was pretty cool. And, and like I said before, at the top, there were, there were lots of fun things in this app. You had Sarah drinking Rory under the table. Um, though it seems like they kind of copped out on what would have been a really interesting dynamic between Rory, uh, being, co uh, Kronos and, and what that would mean for the rest of the team. I understand that the greater threat, again, requires them to ally themselves pretty easily at this point. But I do hope that this complication of Rory being Kronos doesn't get completely forgotten in the process and just dropped. There was way too much tension there created in just a few short episodes uh, for it to be dropped. So maybe someday it will be back. Uh, but I don't see it being anytime soon. I I really enjoyed the, the, the score of this episode. 
it was very spaghetti western with a, a little bit of modern instrumentation put in there to boot um all of the shots looked great you had your obligatory card game you had your high noon shootout you had your bar brawl you had whiskey drinking um you had all of the other moments that are actually central to our our main story as well so this was a really good app i really liked it i'm gonna go like 8.9 or 9 for this particular episode i I really enjoyed it i I think i've had most fun um with this episode than any other episode of legends so far this season and that's it i've talked enough you've listened enough you're tired of hearing me talk so uh i have no idea when i'll be back uh i think we've got a flash episode this week i think we've got um i don't know if we have a super girl episode this week or not i think we've got a legends episode this week i'll try and figure out sunday what i can do to record uh to get you a podcast out by next Monday uh, and we'll see what we can cover <laughs> by that point. In the meantime, uh, save the city podcast at gmail.com or at save the city pod or three, one, four, six, six, nine, one, eight, four, zero. Remember, find all of that at save this city wordpress.com. And this is Matt. Thanks for listening. Take care. Find all back episodes and all contact links at SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to SaveThisCityPodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at SaveThisCityPod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.